Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. And Ari, I, I have a, a proposition for you. I, I think uh, I would like to uh, end my time on this podcast after this football season. I'll still do it, and I'll half-ass it, and I'd like to be paid handsomely for it while I do it and then afterward. But I'm going to leave you on your own here once this football season's over. Are you okay with that? I don't know what that means. Coach O, baby. Get that seventeen million golden parachute, seventeen million dollar golden parachute. Yeah, you know, I Ross Dellinger from SI put out his uh, his Coach O's like buyout structure, like how, like when his payments are coming. It's like six million dollars right at the end, and then it's like a million dollars a month for for like a year or something crazy like that. I'm like, they just this guy is getting a mansion a month. Do you think? Uh, I think Joe Burrow and Joe Brady should get a cut of that. Like, he should mail them half a million dollars every month. So here's my take on it. And then, because, like, I don't know if this relates to Ohio State, but I guess it kind of does because it shows you how quickly, quickly some programs can go from best team of all time to firing their coach, which I don't think is even remotely possible in Columbus. But if you fire your coach, there is a general understanding that the administration views him as incompetent for the job. Is that correct? Correct. And if you view that person as incompetent for the job, how did they win a national championship? And before you say they had the perfect assistant coaching staff and Joe Burrow, who might be the best quarterback of all time, statistically, don't you think that an incompetent head coach would at least get in the way once or twice enough in a perfect season to screw everything up? Like I feel like I feel like I'm not saying that coach O deserves to keep his job. I'm just completely floored by how quickly you can go from literally after they won best team of all time to incompetent. You know what I mean? Like I know everything lined up well for LSU and it, you know, lightning in a bottle and everything that they said about, 
you know, the the assistant coaches and Brady and and Burrow and all that stuff. But like, come on, man. You, even if even if you all that stuff happens, like we're t- look at how good Ohio State is, and some of the weird things that happen at Ohio State that cause them to lose a single game or to get exited from the. You'd think that an incompetent coach would magnify anything, even a perfect team, or like would be negative enough to derail a perfect team, don't you think? Yeah, it is. It is a little baffling to me that because I think I think LSU, LSU's last three coaches have won national titles. And I know that you guys were talking a lot. You guys being the national staff were talking a lot about like the best jobs in college football earlier this year. And I think like LSU has to be among the top five because its last three head coaches won a national title. Also top three, um, I think, because of yeah. I mean, it has everything. And because of its natural recruiting base, like the idea that like anyone <laughs> could lose four games there. And I think Coach O has maybe lost four games there in back to back seasons now, or, or has come close to that. Like is mind blowing to me. So I think the answer to your question is he was always incompetent. Uh, just like the universe got turned on its head for one year and they won a national championship without losing a game. So LSU had the best team of all time, potentially. And maybe last year's LSU or Alabama team. the best team. offense of all time. Okay. Maybe they would have lost to last year's Alabama team. Yeah. But they also lost, they've lost three times this year to UCLA, who's pretty good. Weird game on the road. Auburn and Kentucky, who's have the best team in it's just like the SEC is really hard, dude. I, I don't know. I mean, they're playing yeah, at they're playing at Mississippi and Alabama the next two weeks too, so it's probably going to get worse. But like, they just beat Florida, which I had the under. They did on, just beat Florida, yeah, which yeah, worked out well. Well, let me the ask under, you: When's the last time game? that you bet an over and the team hit a hail mary before halftime? Because it's never <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> That's never happened to me either, though. Uh, I am wondering. It's like a very weird situation there, and part of the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I wonder, like, the recruiting fallout of this, and like whether or not Ohio State can, you know, lurk, lurk around LSU a little bit and maybe poach a guy or two. But I don't. There's not. <clears throat> I don't think there was a whole bunch of like head-to-head recruiting wins for LSU in the 2022 class. By the time the 2023 class is like really rolling, the LSU will have somebody new in place. So I'm not sure that really matters either. Um, Maybe like uh, Tristan Lay, he went to LSU, right? Maybe Tristan Lay can transfer. Are you talking about transferring? Because like last year's uh, class, uh, Louisiana LSU had I think fifteen signees. Or I'm sorry, the 2022 class, which is what would be impacted by that, right? Has fifteen commitments right now. Ten of them are from Louisiana. Like so, it's just that's part of the reason why it's such a great job. But can I ask you this question now that we're on this topic, and just to make it relatable to Ohio State, Mm -hmm. is it possible in your mind for Ohio State to go from playoff to firing their coach in two years? Just late in good LSU, by the way. Um, Is it possible to go from winning a national championship to firing its head coach in two years? Uh, Like short of crippling sanctions. I would think probably not, um, but again, I don't like put me in a situation where Ohio State is losing three or four games in back to back years, and I think they can get pretty damn close to it at a place where you're expected to never lose. You're expected to win the Big Ten every year, go compete for a national championship, and you have back to back years where you're not even close, even like still with that national championship lurking. I think Ohio State could get there. Also, I think it remains. Or it has to be said that losing three games in the Big Ten is a lot different than losing three in the SEC. Certainly is. 
So, yeah. you know, and also half of LSU's roster is injured. Like they were, they beat Florida and Elias Ricks and uh, Derek Stingley were off on the sideline. You know, yeah, some like, of those might be business decisions. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, whatever. Those two players would be the best two players on everybody's roster except Ohio State and the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. So, yeah, yeah I just – it is crazy. And it also, too, is just like when things were going bad during the Oregon game, and I get that fan bases react the same exact way all the time when a team is losing, especially ones that cons- consider a loss the end of the world. But – the fire Ryan Day stuff is starting to come out a little bit in the Oregon game. I don't know if you saw any of that, and I know maybe those are just psychopaths, but like very much so, yes, yeah. You also just need to put stuff into perspective a little bit of just like every single team, even unbreakable programs, because like we did that series at Ohio State. What was it called? Uh, unbreakable or something? What was it called? It was. Uh... <laughs> Indestructible. Indestructible about programs that you feel like no matter what would happen, they're still going to be very, very good. It's like LSU now could be entering, and I don't know how long this is going to last because they're still signing top three classes every year, but back-to-back four lost seasons. It's like, when's the last time that happened for Ohio State? you got to go back to the 80s, right? Uh, Back-to-back four lost seasons? I don't even know. Yeah, it might even be further than that. that So, like... Perspective is always crucial, and like you're talking about a program at LSU that I think you can make the case is every bit as indestructible as Ohio State when it comes to natural recruiting footprint. So, and I think that LSU, Louisiana for LSU is probably more valuable to the Tigers than Ohio is to Ohio State, right? It's a better, deeper state, and LSU is reliant on it more than Ohio State probably is reliant on Ohio. Ohio State lost. Uh... Six games in 1999 and four games in 2000. So that's back-to-back years. Uh, and then they lost at least four games every year from 87 through 91. So it's And I think 87 bad. to 91 is like the worst streak or worst like era of Ohio State football in like the history of the program. Yeah, still only one losing season there. Every Every other season was still a winning season, but... Yeah, like if that happened again, which I don't know how it could. It's like literally impossible. Then Ohio State would fire its coach. I don't even know if you could say that LSU's team right now, this team that is going to get Coach O fired, would lose three games in the Big Ten. No, they could probably roll roll the ball out and probably still manage to only take two losses in the Big Ten. Yeah, and guess what? Here we are, October 18th. Was it three weeks or two weeks away from when our producer, John Hayes, said that was brutal to like, okay, everybody in the Big Ten sucks. Yeah. Like, wait, yeah. there's two left, and they play this weekend, and the under is probably the play, even if the under is 10. And, you know, it's probably going to be a, a 14 to 10 bloodbath of a football game, and one of the teams is going to win, and then there's only going to be one undefeated team remaining in the Big Ten. You're talking Michigan, Michigan State? Yeah. That's next weekend. Oh, yeah. It's a bye week. Excuse me. Yeah. So, the yeah, the, the Halloween week is uh, Michigan versus Michigan State and Ohio State versus Penn State. And then I think we, and then I think after that week we can maybe quit with the charade. <laughs> the, the Big Ten is actually good when the Big Ten is like probably better than it normally is, but I think in the end probably not very good. I know that Iowa stinks. We always talk about how the little numbers next to teams' names on the television screen on football Saturdays are a charade, but there were never five top ten teams in the Big Ten this year. I don't care what anybody wants to say. I know we discussed 
on this podcast about, oh my God, is there really five teams in the top 10? And is the Big Ten East the best division in football? And it's just like, it's not. It's not. And listen, like this, the, the same sentiment could be true about Ohio State. Like we don't. Yeah, we, I know. We, we don't know yet. Yeah, we don't know yet. And I'm sure no. we're going to get to that on the podcast when we do midseason reviews because I'm assuming one of the questions is biggest concern. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to do we're going to do uh, some some mid some questions about Ohio State at the midway point uh, of the year as they get ready to get back into action this week at Indiana. Um, and also we're going to list some guy like the guys were kind of like. I didn't really know how to label it, so I just kind of did it like most interested to watch in the second half of the season. You can say most intrigued by, guys you want to buy stock in, whatever. Just guys we're looking forward to watching continue to grow or, or maybe their roles change, if, if at all, um, in the second half of the season. But before that, there is a little bit of, of news um, that's actually not out at the time we're recording this, but it will be out by the time we do record. Ohio State-Penn State is going to be a 7.30 kick on ABC Saturday night, October 30th. Was there doubt in that? Yes, people were freaking out about it because the Indiana game this week is also a night game. And uh, I think everyone saw that and thought that Fox was going to take the Penn State and Ohio State game and put it at big noon. Um, I'm assuming that means that Michigan, Michigan State is going to be big noon on Big October Kevin 30th. Noon. Big Kevin Noon. Um, wait, what? What? I'm going to vamp because Bill is looking uh, – into his computer screen completely in a trance. Well, I'm a little confused here because Michigan, Michigan State is next week, right? Oh, it's a fake account. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I got fake Twitter. I, got I guess it's better Twitter than account. I. I guess fake Twitter accounting is uh, better than retweeting it. I guess getting blasted on Twitter. I mean, on, on yeah, the podcast yeah, yeah. Okay. is better. It's a fake account. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Ohio State-Penn State is going to be a night game. I'd only trust Kevin Noon's account and official Ohio State accounts. That's right. Like This is like the first proper night game in the shoe against like a team that you think is good since 2017. I don't think they're good. I mean, Penn State's not terrible. You might not think they're Fine. good. You might think they're overinflated, whatever. It's a big game. It's a, it's I'm a not saying game. it's not a big game, but I think Penn State is Oregon. Maybe a little bit worse than Oregon. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point yeah. I'm trying to make is that Ohio State has not had a game like this at home at night in four years, which is absurd. Oh, me. okay. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. Yeah. Like the night games have been like Rutgers and Akron. Yeah. And Nebraska, I think. I think that's fair. Are they going to do the a red out? week of the 2017 season is the last time they had a game like this, which I think is exciting for people because they get pissed off at Fox in their noon time slots when Ohio State plays all its biggest games when half the country's still asleep. Um, and I, I, I mean, it's better for us too, I think. I, I would rather cover a noon game than a night game, obviously. But. Yeah, Ohio State's played in them. They just haven't been at home. Oh, yeah. No, every every time they play at Beaver Stadium, it's a night game. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's good for I'm happy that that, that Ohio State fans like get a game like this. It's been a while since they've had one. So, um, And I know people were freaked out about that. So it's happening. Congratulations. Ohio State, Penn State, primetime kick in the shoe. Ohio State's wearing all scarlet uniforms for some reason. I don't like them. Yeah, I don't love them. I like... I I wouldn't mind seeing what the scarlet pants with the white jersey looked like, but the scarlet head to toe, I'm, I'm out on. It's not just the scarlet head to toe. I think it is. Um, I don't really like all the same colors unless it's black or white in any of the color yeah. schemes. Yeah, I think. It oh, actually, Clemson's all purples are pretty badass. Oh, Clemson's purples are sweet. Yeah, yeah but like no one does that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like Ohio State's uniforms, there are a lot of like really good potential 
uniforms that you could come up with. I've seen, you know, in 10 years covering Ohio State, you see quite a bit of fan graphic art of, like, mm-hmm. fake potential, what's it, custom uniforms that people are trying to get up. Right. And they're better most of the time than the ones that Ohio State actually wears. Like, I think so Ohio State like has a lot of potential with their color scheme. They definitely do, yeah. But I also, I also... I'm in favor of like sticking to your tradition sometimes with the uniforms. When, when when your uniform is like so iconic that you just don't want to mess with it. Um, and I You're think a no alternate guy. I'm not a no alternate guy. I just think I think some like sometimes Ohio State gets a little wild with it. Like those wolf uniforms were terrible. Um, the uh, the Chick Harley ones they tried to do in what was that 2018 with like the cannonball helmet and stuff. Like I get the idea. The execution of it was not particularly good. Um, but when you change up things like slightly, like alter the jersey sleeves to make it look like your original look, like I like that kind of stuff. I like the black jerseys a lot, um, which is just like a, a different color palette, different color palette for what is your normal jersey. I like that too. But you know, miss me with the wolf uniforms. That didn't make any sense. <laughs> miss me with the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there like a meaning behind it? I can't remember. I thought there was like a meaning behind it. Yeah, it, it was like uh, their slogan that year was like land of the wolves or some shit yeah I don't, I don't know. <laughs> apparently apparently in the land of the wolves you take two losses who knew all right dude you're let's get coming with the heat today dollar b <laughs> I, I just hated those uniforms you're you're so the cool. one i'm the one that they wore them twice in a month they wore them you're twice over here year. yeah i know land of the wolves that's funny i mean i will all say right. that i think that all of ohio state slogans are cheesy it's like yeah. even ones that are iconic and worked <laughs> like what, what were the was the the chase the year they won the national championship or was that something else? The chase was the year they won the national championship, and then do you know what it was the year after, which is hilarious in light of recent events? Um, I can't remember what it was. Tell me, the grind. Yeah, the grind. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to talk about Urban Meyer's Pine House for an hour. <laughs> I remember yeah. that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it just funny. Said the grind and grind. I think was in quotation marks. Have too. people? Very, uh, very you, weird. I'm surprised people didn't remember that. I haven't seen any memes about it on the internet yet. Totally forgot about it until right now. Yeah, yeah, that would have been that would have been good Twitter fodder two weeks ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's jump into some uh, some midseason questions here. I have a story that went up on the Athletic on uh, what's today Monday. Uh, Mid season report: All of our writers doing them on on teams around the country. Um, just kind of taking the temperature of where teams are as they get ready for the second half of the season. So my answers are in that story, theathletic.com slash four six. You just signed up, you can go read it. Uh, I want to get some of Ari's answers on similar questions. Maybe we have similar ideas. I'm, I'm sure we do. Because I haven't read Bill's story, not because I don't care, but because I haven't been able to sleep. And I also think it'd be better for the podcast for you to ask me the questions and then for me to answer and then you tell them if they're the same. 
Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, first one is uh, best surprise of the season to this point. I would say the emergence of some of the young defensive back talent, uh, like Denzel Burke coming yeah. out. And it's like, you would think that coming into the year that Ohio state's secondary would be the biggest question mark. And I guess to a certain extent it kind of is, but at the same time too, I think it's far less of a dire situation as a result of his emergence. Yeah. Denzel Burke was, was my answer. I think that's right. I think, I think it could get bigger than that. If you wanted to include like, Cameron Martinez playing well and stretches Lathan Ransom like continuing to grow and even someone like Ronnie Hickman who's not played a ton who's not a young guy but he's like a new guy uh, playing really well in, in that safety role and I do think it's it's funny to me like some people were arguing like in my mentions on Twitter the other day about whether or not Ohio State's good and someone's like well, Ohio State's got to get a secondary and I thought to myself well I don't really know if that's the issue. Like if I have, if I were assessing all of Ohio State's issues, like individual secondary play, I'm not sure is where I would go. Maybe outside of free safety, but even that's been a little better slash different because they're not playing with a single high safety so much anymore. But these corners are good, man. Especially if Cameron Brown is healthy, and, that, and that's a big deal moving forward. But like some of the stuff they're doing on defense right now, they're able to do because they can trust guys like Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown, and, and I think to a, a, maybe a lesser extent, Seven Banks right now in, in man coverage and just sort of leave them alone and let them do their thing, which was not the case last year. So, yeah, I thought like no one expected this from Denzel Burke. Um, there are other f- young guys who have made splashes for sure, but the idea that Denzel Burke was like a mid-tier guy in their class who was like switching positions from offense to defense, and now he's the starting cornerback, and at this point everyone's like not thinking twice about it, and in fact is like looking at Denzel Burke as the next guy in the pipeline to be a first-round pick and like an All-American someday. Like, did not see that one coming. I don't, I don't know how it gets more more surprising in a good way than that. Yeah, and Worst also, surprise. like, I, I think that when you said, what's the biggest surprise, you take it as pleasant surprise? Yeah. Yeah, well, here's a negative one. They got their butts kicked by Oregon. That's a pretty big yeah. surprise, too. And well, I don't that's know. Worse, yeah, worst surprise. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Is that the next question? So there's best surprise and then there's oh, worst okay. surprise. All right, I yeah. thought it was just, what's the biggest surprise? Okay. No, no. What's the worst surprise? Yeah. That it's week seven in college football or middle of October going into late October? And I'm not necessarily sure that Ohio State is playoff good. I think it's still a fair question, but I I feel much better about that now than I thought I would at this point after losing to Oregon. I know I just got done saying that Penn State's not that good, but if Ohio State kicks the crap out of Penn State or at least wins a very good-looking Ohio State's back game, that switch will flip for me. And listen, me saying I'm not sure that Ohio State's playoff good, don't get that confused with me thinking that they're not going to make it because I think they're going to make it. I'm fairly certain they will. But I'm not sure that they are good enough. This this is the worst team right now since 17, right, or 18? I think they're better than 18. Yeah, I'm probably better than 18. So, But it's the worst team since then. Yeah, I mean, the last two years, yeah. 19 Um, especially was awesome. 19 was one of the best teams we've ever seen, yeah. So... You know, that the, the surprise to me isn't just that they lost to Oregon. I think it's the the discourse that we had to have following the game, too, of is there a coordinator problem? Like, Kerry Combs' status right now for next year is kind of up in the air or feels like it's up in the air. Uh, you know, defensive design, personnel issues, all the things that can't – like, when you recruit the way that you, Ohio State recruits, I feel like to a certain extent you're supposed to be immune to some of these things. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, maybe it was on us, too, in the regular portion of the summer where we talk about preview stuff to not really take 
things like this a little bit more seriously. But like, I didn't even consider that the question would be Ohio State's defensive lineman sucks, especially after what happened in the Alabama game. The the obvious answer there is fix that, you know? Right. So like, it just to me was su- such an obvious thing to do. It didn't even occur to me that that could be an issue still. So, you know, I, I think that Ohio State, especially now that we're getting more context results uh, in the Big Ten East, in the Big Ten overall too, because Iowa's offense is like dreadfully bad. I, I, I'm not even – they are – piss poor i don't know how to say it yeah and I, like, I, don't, I don't know i don't know how you wouldn't have seen that before last week like they lost to purdue and like whatever you shouldn't lose to purdue regardless but like they got, i said something they could get something a first last down. Week, like i know i said something last week like uh the number two team in the country is only an 11 point favorite at home against purdue and then someone uh i think one of the people from the radio state local radio station here was like well uh, i don't understand why people think winning 48 to 24 is better than winning 21 to 10. And I was like, that's not what it's about. It's about that Iowa's offense stinks. Like they're terrible. It's not even like you could be a, you could be a team that is tilted toward your defense. That's perfectly fine. Georgia's tilted towards defense. It still has an efficient offense that looks like it knows what it's doing when it's out there. Even if it's not a team that scores 50 points a game, Iowa's offense is terrible, terrible. They yeah. can't do anything unless a defense gives them the ball on the opponent's 35 yard line. It's and even then, like, it's I, I can't of, believe it. Yeah. And even then, yeah, even then you're not guaranteed the score. <laughs> I uh, they're awful. I know that we have like rankings don't mean anything. I get that, and I know that you have to fill them in with teams that have a zero in the loss column halfway through the season. I do, but I don't care how good your defense is. If your offense is that bad, like that terrible, there is nothing that you could do to get into the top ten in my ballot. Yeah. You're, when you're totally dysfunctional on one side of the ball, which Iowa is, um, I'm not really. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess you have to put them in the top ten at some point, right? I don't know. Like, I would have had a hard time putting them in the top five. I would have done the Dabo Sweeney eleven thing. Always number eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, my worst surprise was uh, <clears throat> more specific than yours, but also about the defense was uh, the lack of production thus far from defensive ends that I thought we were, ever think most of us believe we're going to have like a big jump this season. Guys like Zach Harris and Tyreek Smith, even Javante Jean-Baptiste. Like, I don't think they played terribly, but it's not been quite the level that I, I expected. I think others expected, and part of that is availability. Tyreek has not played in the last three weeks. Javante's been out too. Um, but I think between all of them, they have like one sack or two sacks, uh, and Ohio State's played six games, so – that's that's a, a number that's much lower than I anticipated being coming in. And this what's year. the thing that Ohio State's had in every single national championship, you know, either winning season or or contending season? It's been yeah, constant def- here for ten years. Defensive end that scares the shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what it is, and I don't want to pile on Zach Harrison, but for his athletically, and this is the type of guy too that I think will go to the NFL and be really, really good. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, but I just don't know why it's not clicking. The thing with the thing with him is is like I've I've never actually thought he's been bad. I actually think he's been very good and not given enough credit overall for how good he's played. But the sacks just aren't there, and it's not all about sacks. I get that, um, and it shouldn't be. But you would also expect a little more from a guy with that physical profile and and a guy who like frankly ha- has been getting better year to year. It's just like. I feel like he's always right there. He's always right there, and he just can't he can't quite finish it off. And it's kind of an odd thing. And I'm sure it's frustrating for him. Um, and we've seen the flashes, right? We saw the strip sack against Minnesota. Um, I think he's, he's made some other splash plays over the last two years, but I don't know what it is. I've got a theory uh, from – and I, I got it at medical school. 
There's a difference between production and explosiveness. And I think that Zach Harrison has been just great with his production in terms of pressures, being just right there, disruption, all that stuff. But the only way that you can measure explosiveness from a defensive end is somebody who's just going to to borrow a movie from 40-year-old Virgin, rock shit back there. And he doesn't do that. So I, I don't know what it is. I can't really put my finger on it. it. It might be an interesting question. I don't know if you can ask that to Larry Johnson because it's kind of offensive. But like, it's just like when Chase Young was on the field, it was like he was blowing up the game. You know, when when Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa were on the field, they were blowing up the game. And I get that we can't compare every defensive end that comes to Ohio State to those three guys. They're three of the best defensive ends in, in, the, in the NFL right now. But also, being pretty good and, you know, being not getting enough credit for what you are doing is so much different than knowing that you have a guy that the entire week is going to be spent trying to scheme for if you're the other team. And they don't have that right now. They do not have that right now. Uh, next question was uh, breakout player. No, okay. Shaq Miller. <laughs> my answer. My answer <laughs> was Noah Ruggles. <laughs> no, no. Mine is uh, uh, Rossi. Mitch Rossi. Oh yeah, love a fullback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The uh, why am I? I can't. Oh, Jesse Murko. I like forgot the name of the Australian. Do you think that we can talk about this in a funny way long enough where we don't even have to say the name and we can just move on? <laughs> I think we can just move on. Yeah. Just say it just in case because not everybody's going to be up to speed, I think. Okay. It's Kate Stover. Okay. Um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any of those guys, by the way. All those guys we name are playing well. No, it's Trey Henderson. I don't, it's not worth it. Mitch Rossi's really playing well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, best play. Trey Henderson when he caught that swing pass in the Minnesota game and then split the defense like it, like he was Ted Ginn Jr. and then put the peace <laughs> up sign like Paris Campbell. Is there even a second? Is yeah. there even a second place? Uh, I was trying to think of a second place. Uh, some of those like I would, they weren't like the flashiest plays. I suppose I didn't think there were. That was my answer too. By the way, the Trey Henderson screen. I didn't think there were a ton of great answers for this. But a couple of the releases that Garrett Wilson had against Maryland, where he just like oh yeah 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 <laughs> scored a touchdown like the most beautiful one yard route in the history of mankind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are pretty cool. Uh, when the NFL draft the, stuff starts up again, and we're like what six months away from that, and there's a debate yeah. about which Ohio State receiver is going to go first, I think that is going to get Wilson drafted higher than Olave. Yeah, I was always on board with the Garrett Wilson would get drafted higher than Chris Olave thing. Um, just because I think that Wilson has more of the measurables and explosive potential and, and all that stuff that the teams will be looking for. Uh, but he's also like playing better than, than Chris Olave right now. They're both playing great. Um, but Garrett Wilson, I think, has really taken his game to another level. I wanted year. to make a point about uh, Chris Olave, but I think I might save it depending on what questions get asked. And if not, then I'll ask you at the end of the week, at the end of the pod. Okay. Uh, the last question, and then we'll get to our guys we want to watch in the second half of the season. Uh, the biggest question for you moving forward. Is Ohio State's defense functional enough from a personnel and scheme standpoint to win a game against a very good football team? Yeah, I think that's well stated. Because um, I don't have any, I don't have any real questions about their offense. I think their offense is like getting ready to take off here, and the numbers already are. I think ridiculous. you can make a case that they already have. Yeah, like this is going to be when the season's over. This will be the best offense we had to, we've ever seen at Ohio State, at least from a statistical standpoint. Um, 
So the defense doesn't need to be. I don't even know if the defense. I think the defense just needs to be functional, like you said. Like I don't even know. I don't even know if I'd say good. I just think functional is the, is the right way to put it. Um, Ohio State's defense has to be as good as Georgia's offense. How's that? I think that's well stated too. I think that's a good way to to kind of break it down because nothing. Georgia's offense is good enough for what it is. Georgia's offense is good enough for what it does extremely well on the other side of the ball. And I think if you can get Ohio State's defense to the same spot. I think Ohio State's offense could score on Georgia. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Do you think Ohio State could score 30 against Georgia? Hmm. Georgia's given up like three touchdowns this year. <laughs> is that right? Well, in a playoff game, I think that we have to make – like what's a successful point output for a defense in a playoff game? 28? If you If you hold your opponent to 28 points in a playoff game, you've done your job. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think you'd feel pretty good about that. So, like, I don't know that Ohio State can beat Georgia if they score 28. Yeah. I think that's right. Now, listen, Ohio State's defense should be able to hold Georgia to 28, too. Like, if, and I think, like, if Ohio State's defense were to play Georgia right now, holding them to 28 points would be a successful outing. I don't. I don't know. George. I don't. And I'm not asking this in a way to disparage Georgia's defense at all, because I think it's awesome. It's one of the best defenses I've, I've ever seen. Um, like, who's the best offensive team Georgia has played? Um, Florida. No, they haven't played Florida. Clemson. Played Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could put eleven of me out there and not be a better offensive opponent than Clemson. Um, I'm gonna go pull. They played Charlotte, right UAB. <clears throat> I'm sorry. They played Clemson. UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. They shut out Arkansas. Pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Auburn stinks. Kentucky's offense, okay. To kick the crap out of all three of those teams, is it, it's like, yeah, yeah I they get flattened, it. They, all, they flattened all those teams. Yeah. We'll, we'll get a really good glimpse of Georgia's defense when they play Bama in the SEC championship <clears throat> game. But, like... I don't know. What do we think about about the, the Gators if, uh, if Anthony Robinson's playing quarterback? And Anthony Richardson. Richardson, sorry. I don't know who Anthony Robinson is. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm excited to watch the game. Yeah, they got Florida, Missouri, Tennessee. If Georgia Charleston, loses, Southern if Georgia, Georgia loses to Florida, just wrap it up. <clears throat> just, just, just fold the stadium up and just let's try something else. If I don't think they're really, going to lose. Georgia's got a great gymnastics program. <laughs> I don't think they're going to lose to Florida, um, but. I think that's the closest thing to a good offense that Georgia's probably going to see this year until they play Alabama. Yeah. So, I don't know. But the, to your point, they have grinded every team they've played thus far. Do you want to talk based. about Emory Jones for five minutes, or should we just like move on? I have not watched a second of Emory Jones play. All I, do, all I know about Emory Jones is what I read on Twitter, but it seems to me that he is not the best quarterback in Florida. I don't think he's the best quarterback at any of the three Florida schools. I don't even. Well, I guess Derek, Derek, Derek King, King is and, he's out, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It was, it was brutal. <laughs> They've got Mackenzie Milton, so enough said. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it was a rough day. Yeah, that's weird. It's, it's weird how that went. It is kind of funny how the first story I wrote at the Athletic was about Ohio State recruiting Emory Jones and how they were going to, you know, how Emory Jones was going to handle it because he was visiting other places and all that stuff. And just like sometimes I like to think about alternate histories of if he signs. Is he, A, develop better, 
this Ohio State's program on a completely different course. And, you know, what does that mean for Emory? But, you know, it didn't turn out well for him. And I thought he was, he was be awesome. He was a carryover, though, right, from Tim Beck before Ryan Day got here? Is that right? Do I have that right? I think that sounds right, yes. I'm trying to think. Like, I remember back I remember back at the time when they lost Emory Jones, like never getting a particularly strong vibe from Ryan Day, who was then the quarterback's coach, that he was a big Emory Jones guy. Um, I think Urban very much was, and I, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was Tim Beck who really started that recruitment and I think basically saw it through um, until the commitment. So it's interesting. Like, I don't know. I'm not trying to give like Ryan Day credit, saying like Ryan Day had the had the vision to see that this is what Emory Jones actually is. But um, I think I respect Ryan Day's evaluation of quarterbacks a little more than I do Tim Beck's. Um, and maybe if that was the case, he was right about this one. I don't know. It's 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 even even with that, like I still think Emory Jones had like the raw talent to be better than than what he is right now. It's a little surprising. Yeah. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. Those are all the questions. My my uh, biggest question was the same as yours, by the way. It's just like, what's real? What's real with this defense and what's not? Yeah, also, um, which, too. It's which, just frankly, like, I don't know if we'll get an answer to until January because they're not playing a very good offensive team the rest of the way. Which will make January fun, I guess. But uh, let me ask you this, and I know that it's probably not good podcasting that we agreed on everything, but if you ask the listeners of the show, don't you think everybody would say the same thing that we did? Yes, I do. I think it's pretty straightforward with Ohio State. Maybe, I think in terms of, like, best surprise, you could say, like, Luke Whipler, because no one expected him to start, and he's starting, and he's been fairly good. Um, or that, like that offensive shuffling in general, seems to have worked when I think people were a little uneasy about it. Um, but I think that Denzel Burke is a more obvious answer, and then the other ones are all pretty obvious too. All right, let's do. Let's wrap up with this. <clears throat> Five guys from each of us, and if we have the same guy, we have the same guy that we're most interested to watch for whatever reason, however we want to define it in the second half of the season. Okay, you go first. 
Okay, I'll start with the guy we already discussed, Denzel Burke, because uh, he's been very good to this point. I do think while, while he has been challenged in terms of teams throwing at him, I do not think he's been challenged in terms of the receiver across from him being all that good. Uh, and now they're entering a part of the season where like they're going to see Ty Freifogel next week, or sorry, this week, Jahan Dotson the week after that. Later in the year, they'll see uh, the two guys from Michigan State. Uh, I always get the first names. So Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed right, are the two guys at Michigan State. Uh, I think those are pretty good receivers too. So just want to see more from Denzel Burke if when he gets matched up against guys who are probably going to play receiver in the NFL because I'm not sure he's seen a ton of that just yet. Denzel Burke's on my list too. I think that's just for obvious reasons. Um, okay, I'm going to have one that's not on your list, but I want to use this as a discussion point for you. I'm very excited to see how Chris Olave closes out his Ohio State career. I think we know what it'll kind of look like, but I think that we should have the discussion right now. Is he the best receiver in Ohio State history? So I saw you tweet that during the Maryland game, and I don't think it was off base. Like I think like he was playing really well in that game. But my retort to that would be like, is he the best receiver on his own team? <laughs> A lot of people said that. And I think being the best receiver in history is not being I, I, I don't know if it's just phrasing, because if you want to do the best receiver just on talent alone, then Michael Thomas is the best receiver in Ohio State history, probably, right? But yeah, Michael like Thomas Boston wouldn't even Glenn. but yeah. Michael Michael Thomas wouldn't even circulate as a top five receiver on most fans lists because he wasn't productive enough. And that's no fault of his own. It's just, he wasn't a big enough part of the, of the game plan. It's like, who are the candidates right now in terms of, I'm I'm talking about showing up big in big moments, explosiveness, scoring touchdowns consistently, and just being reliable from start to finish. And I don't think there's any debate whatsoever that Chris Olave has been more productive then Garrett Wilson, obviously, he's been doing it longer. But the fact that he's still on the team doing what he's doing, it's like, who are you comparing him to? I think Ted Ginn Jr., Terry Glenn, David Boston, and believe it or not, Devin Smith. Um, or maybe Devin Smith is just a little bit more highlighted because of what he did during a, a national championship run. But I don't, I think that the, let me just put it this way. I think that the debate is already worth having. And if he catches a game-winning touchdown like he did in the Clemson game last year in a playoff game this year, I think he slams the door shut on it. So that's why I'm excited to look at him. Yeah, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, all the records are are in play for him in terms of, like, uh, I think, like, career receiving yards and career receptions, I think, are still on the table for Chris Olave to get this year. He's third. He tied Chris Carter, or passed Chris Carter, and touchdown receptions. Um, or maybe they're still tied. I don't know. He's going to pass him eventually. Like, so like there's there's going to be we're going to see Chris Olave's name at the top of some list by the time his career is over. Like all that's still on the table for him. Also, and I'm do, talking about a guy too that like blocked punts in the Michigan game. Yeah, like he's done a lot. He's I mean, he's made splashy special teams plays um, both as a as a gunner and as a, a guy who chases and, and blocks punts. Um, and I also think that in in a weird way, while, while I think like Garrett Wilson is obviously a very high profile player, I think has lived up to the billing. Um, in, in more ways than one is playing his best season right now and will be remembered very fondly when he's gone. Chris Olave feels much more of feels like much more of like a defining player of this era yes, of Ohio State I football. Agree. Yeah. I don't know so, what it is. I, I don't know if it's just like Chris Olave shows up in big moments consistently, mm-hmm. but it feels like Chris Olave is a bigger part of the team. I don't know how to explain it. Is that a, is that a right way to look at it? 
there's just a pre- yeah, there's a presence with him. Um, and maybe it's because he's been here a year longer, but um, yeah, he does mostly in good ways. But he he has been involved in some rather high profile moments for the program over the last four years, and of course, one bad way at the end of that Fiesta Bowl game um, against Clemson. But yeah, I think I think it's a conversation worth having. It's just funny to me that that I think a a second totally relevant conversation is, is he actually the best receiver on this team? I think that's fair too. Um, all right. Another guy for me to watch in the second half of the season, Tyleek Williams, Tyleek Williams. Uh, I wrote a story that's going to run later this week about Ohio state's defensive changes. And I got some numbers from, uh, Jason Starrett, one of our editors at the athletic, who's really good at pulling like advanced stats and stuff. And like Tyleek Williams, I believe this is right. Um, and this was leading into the bye week, so it might be different now coming off of last week. But Tyleek Williams had the highest pressure rate of any defensive lineman in the country with a, with a minimum of 40 snaps in like the four weeks leading up to Ohio State's bye week. Pretty absurd that that that, that belongs to Tyleek Williams. And he's got four sacks. He leads a team in sacks, so it's not just that he's getting pressure. He's getting home and he's hitting quarterbacks. And he's impacting the game in a way that I did not think would be possible for him or realistic for him in his first season. And frankly, I don't even know in his career because – um, he could have been a guy that like got recruited over and just never really found his way here. But I think he is forcing his way onto the field. Uh, I think he's playing better than every defensive tackle, not named Haskell Garrett. And I would hope that he gets rewarded with more snaps because I think he deserves them moving forward. I think that he could be arguably in the position. He'd be number two, I think behind Henderson and biggest surprise or biggest yeah. breakout breakout. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. My next one, this is my third, I think, right? Uh, I would say, Taraja Mitchell. Interesting. I don't have him. I think he's starting to explode a little bit more. There, there yeah, have been I think a he's few seeing things plays better. where he's just starting to really. I think it's starting to slow down for him, like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's he, and as a result, he's starting to play faster. And there are a few plays in in the Maryland game where he exploded into the backfield and hit a hit a runner with the ball and it was just like uh, he attacked, he stopped the play and he like, it was like, uh, you know, what you want to see from your linebackers. And I'm very curious to see if by the end of the year, if he actually finally arrives at what he was supposed to be. Yeah. I think, I think Taraja Mitchell is, he doesn't, I don't think he has the speed to make up for mistakes when he makes them, but when he sees it, like he really pops because he's, he's, pretty instinctual when, when he sees it and he gets to the right spot. And I think he's, he's seeing it more and more. Um, I would say the same thing about steel chambers who I had on my list. I think that's true of him, but I also think that he has a little bit more of that speed and explosiveness to make himself right or put himself in a position to still make a play, even when he's wrong. Um, and Kerry Combs was saying some of that stuff last week, like, Steel Chamber sees it and he goes, and he's not always right about what he's seeing, but he goes there as fast as anybody on the field. And when he arrives there, he, he usually makes a pretty physical uh, play on the ball. So, and I, I just think like week to week, when you look at guys who seem to be getting better every time they get out there, I, I would put Steel Chambers at or near the, the top of that list, and, and I think he's just going to continue on that on that path um, in the second half of the season. Okay, um, I wanted to get another receiver on mine. Okay. I don't know which one I want to pick, but Jackson Smith and the Jigba, I think will be very, very good next year. I think it's already apparent. But Ameka Egbuka, I feel like, is starting to pop yeah. up more and more. Have you noticed that? It's like I his, have. Yeah. So He's like the next guy in. Yes. He's, whenever they need a, a guy in there, he's the next guy. I'm wondering if we're going to start to see freshman-like production from him in big moments. Because it seems to always happen in the second half of the year, and his name is coming up a little bit more and more every week. Yeah. I think it's hard. It. I think it's hard because – like, and, and he'll – 
he has played in the slot. Like, like if you were to make a depth chart and Hightower doesn't have one, I think he'd be the number two slot receiver behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. But clearly he can play anywhere with his size. And obviously it's hard to get on the field behind guys like Olave and Garrett Wilson. Um, but I think it is on the table for him to get, you know, five to ten snaps per game in high leverage moments in place of a guy like Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, if only to give those guys a breather for a play and in those opportunities, he can do something with them. Um, and also he's going to return a kick for a touchdown. Like that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I only have one more left. I don't know how many you've said already, but I have, I have two more left. All right, well, give ahead. me your one and I'll give you my two. If Mine you is boring. Them. So just go and, and do yours. Uh, well, one of them is an offensive lineman, so I might get, <laughs> might have you on the on the. All right, boring, let me just close my eyes for a second. Talk about there. the talk about the offensive lineman. Uh, it's Matthew Jones, who has been. I think you can make a case that Matthew Jones has been Ohio State's best offensive lineman. Um, now he plays guard, and the play of Nick Petit Frere and Dewan Jones, which has also been very good, is probably more important because they're tackles. Um, but Matthew Jones has been awesome, and I wrote about this last week. To the point where I like, I am wondering if the staff needs to uh, take any of the time that was afforded to them last week and think hard about whether or not Matt Jones needs to be a starter. Whether that means moving Thayer Munford back to tackle and making Dewan Jones your sixth lineman or taking Paris Johnson out of the starting lineup and making Matt Jones a guard or seeing if Matt Jones can play center instead of Luke Whippler. And all these guys I'm naming have not played poorly. I just don't think they've played as well as Matthew Jones. And in the in the name of getting your best five on the field, which I think Matt Jones is unquestionably one of those players, um, I would consider it. And I'm curious to see if they shuffle that around at all in the second half or if it's just what we've seen the last few weeks where it's like a couple series from Matthew Jones depending on the flow of the game. Otherwise, it's the starting five that have been the starting five all, all year playing. Yeah. Okay, my fifth is Mitch Rossi. Love that. I just want to know if Ohio State's going to use the fullback more. Yeah, Spider 2, Y Banana. That's not my guy. Uh, my guy oh. is just CJ Stroud. Yeah, that was my guy too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'd like to see how the first-year starter quarterback uh, plays against Penn State. <laughs> I'm actually kind of curious. Super interesting. Well, I'm kind of – I'm curious about this week. And it's not because I think Indiana is particularly good, um, although I think their defense is okay and, and played well against Michigan State last week. Um, they came after Justin Fields last year, like really heated Justin Fields up in a way that affected Justin Fields. Um, and part of that wasn't just Justin. It was it was poor interior line play, too, against what was a really hard look when they were doing that crossing linebacker blitz and then bringing the safety in late, like up the middle of the field. It's really hard to block. I get that. And, and Ohio State, to its credit, over the course of that game toward the end, kind of got that figured out. But um, I like Indiana is going to have something for Ohio State in a similar vein this week something I think that CJ Stroud's probably not seen before and he could be under pressure in a way that he has not been to this point in the season um and I'm very curious to see how he handles that and, and I, I have been impressed with how he's handled pressure to this point I just think it could be something a little different against Indiana if they try to heat him up the same way they heated Justin Fields up yeah so it'll be fun yeah I think but yeah that, yeah he's uh your Indiana your Indiana run was fun Oh yeah, no everyone. Everyone who was on the Tom Allen's Ted Lasso train can shut the hell up. Uh, one because that's an annoying take. Two because it was never true. Um, three because that show's not very good. Uh, four. No. Um, Actually, like everybody is obsessed with the show, and I watched the first season of it, and I thought it's like cute. Like it's like yeah, yeah, it's, it's worth fine. watching. But like I don't know if it is as good as the. 
cult is trying to make you believe it is. And yeah. I feel like it's almost like it makes you a bad person if you don't think it's as good because he's such a good human. Like, it's like almost like, well, if you don't find Ted Lasso to be the greatest thing of all time, then you're just a shitbag human. And it's right. just like, I just think it's not that funny. It's fine. It's it's a little, whatever. We don't talk about Ted Lasso. I have, I have a yeah. CJ Shaw question for you before we wrap up, uh, wrap up the show. How many quarterbacks across college football right now would you take over C.J. Stroud? Give me a second. Let's talk about something. How many would you do? I'm trying to think. Like Bryce Young? Is that like a no doubt about it? Yes? I guess. I mean, although I don't know that he's... I think they're like the same dude. (laughs) I don't know. I think he's really good, but like I don't know that he's like... I don't get the Tua feels from him. I, I, I... Caleb Williams, I would take. Yeah, I would take Caleb Williams. I would have taken Caleb Williams before the season started, though. <laughs> that kid's awesome. Um, but I don't know after that. Like, Hold on a second. Desmond Ritter? I think I might take Desmond Ritter. Yeah, I think I might take Desmond Ritter. Uh, well, here's the thing. C.J. Stroud is fourth in the country in passing yards. Did you know that? He's he's number two in efficiency. Um. Is Kenny Pickett like really, really good? I've I've not watched one second of Kenny Pickett. Apparently, he's uh, like the hot is, NFL draft, draft. All I've done is make jokes about drafting him in our in our Debbie Dynasty League, but I actually haven't watched him. Carson Strong is really good at Nevada. Yeah, I'm I'm just throwing names out there. Uh, not that I would take him, but Jake Hayner has kind of like become a a little bit of a cult following uh, yeah. with that that game winning drive he had against UCLA a few weeks ago. What about Matty Corral? I don't think so. I think he's a little too volatile for me. Oh, maybe not. Maybe. I'd have the discussion. I think at the end of the discussion, I'd still end on C.J. Stroud. Is C.J. going to win the Heisman? He's going to have the stats to win the Heisman. I don't know. Like, if we're, if we're, I did not put him in my Heisman straw poll this week, did you? I haven't I, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Okay, let's pretend that you've done it. That yeah. you've done it. Would you, would you have put him in there? I don't know. I did not. I, put I don't Desmond think I Ritter. would. Yeah. I had Desmond Ritter first. I had N'Kobe Dean from Georgia in there as number two, but I went back and forth between him and that defensive tackle. What's his name? Jaden Davis or Davies. Yeah. Uh, who's a alien. Um, what, from Georgia? McC- yeah, from Georgia. I had Grayson McCall third. Yeah. It's just like there's no, there's no obvious answer, and voters are mor- morons because I'm one of them. And I think it's just like Ohio State quarterback for a team that's going to the playoff. It was the best stats. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick him. But like I don't know that he's had a single Heisman moment. Not yet. And like I, maybe that's part of the reason of that is they haven't played anybody good except Oregon. Mm-hmm. And Oregon's not good. And, and he lost. was not good at the end. Of, he had an opportunity for a moment at the end and of he that threw game an interception. and didn't deliver. Yeah. But like I don't know. Like, would you take Spencer Rattler? No. There's some there's some names down on the list that of the stats that I think are interesting. Um like KJ Jefferson's really good, I think, but he plays at Arkansas. He reminds me of Cardell Jones. What about Spencer Petrus? No, I I'd rather take myself. But Desmond Ritter's stats are really bad. They're they're not explosive because Cincinnati just like kicks the shit out of everybody. And like he didn't set the he didn't set the world on fire, I guess, against like Indiana and Notre Dame, but he is the starting quarterback for what I think is legitimately a top five team. I think um, that Desmond that Ritter should be 
higher on the Heisman straw poll than Stroud right now. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but I think I'd take Stroud over him like based on pure talent. Yeah, but do you know who the top three uh, yards per game quarterbacks are in the country? Uh, Western Kentucky's quarterback, Brennan Armstrong. Bailey Zappi? Yeah, Billy Zappi. I didn't know how to pronounce his name. Bailey Zappi. Brennan Armstrong from Virginia and Will Rogers from Mississippi State, who had like five yards against Alabama. So, uh, oh, uh, Stroud is fourth. Hayner's fifth. Grant Wells from Marshall is fifth. Tied with Hayner. Carson Strong. Nevada, seven. Kenny Pickett, eight. Tanner Mordecai, uh, SMU, nine. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really seem to me that, like, there's really much of a debate here. I mean, I guess, like, it's funny. We went from should CJ Stroud be benched to who would you take over him? I can't find anybody. But, you know, that's the sport we love. A lot of growth, I think, for C.J. Stroud over the last two weeks, and I think more to come from him. I'm, I'm very excited to watch him play, and and also maybe to see again if we're if we're wrong about that. Like, like I think he is a little bit of a microcosm of, of Ohio State as as a whole right now. That we we think he has turned it around. We think he is very good and going to keep getting better. Um, or they just played shitty teams <laughs> for the last month, and we're all seeing a mirage. That's we're going to get smacked in the face with reality here moving forward. But I, I actually don't think that's going to be the case. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting second half of the season for Ohio State uh, that starts on Saturday night in Bloomington, Indiana, against the Hoosiers. We'll have another show for you guys later this week. We'll t- maybe talk a little bit more about that game. Um, I think I think we'll do a mailbag. You in for a mailbag? Yeah, I'm in for a mailbag. Yeah, I think we'll do a mailbag. Uh, hit the email, 4to6ab at gmail.com. We'll grab some questions from there. Hit us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Ari Wasserman. We'll grab some questions from there as well. Or leave a five-star review on Apple, and I promise you we'll grab your question from there if you leave a five-star review. That's a guarantee. Guarantee. If you leave a five-star review with a question, we'll answer it. Because you know, we get a lot. We can't answer them all, but if you leave them on a five-star review, we'll answer that one for sure. Yes, that's a good That's a good yeah. way to get five-star reviews, Bill. Clever. That's right. We need the, we need those five-star reviews. Rolling. It does really so, help us, guys. It really does. It does. So if you it listen to it ton. every week, it takes 30 seconds. I take phones uh, from friends of mine and open their podcast app and leave the <laughs> review. Most of the time saying something about Dollaby. But, you know, it helps us move up the charts, and it helps the company feel like it's worth us continuing to do this because it takes a lot of time, and we could be writing while we're doing it. So... If you're a big podcast fan, let's let's get those things going. We'll talk to you guys later in the week.